grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Jo Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, welcome to Adopt Perspective. I'm your host, Jo Sparrow. Welcome to season five. I hope everyone managed a relaxing break over Christmas and the shift back into the new year wasn't too bumpy. Just a little news and a big thank you before we begin today's episode. Thanks to our courageous guests and wonderful listeners, the podcast grew exponentially last year, reaching 30,000 listeners in 45 countries. The podcast is required listening as part of the induction process in a relevant department of at least one state in Australia. It's been used in Churchill Fellowship research into Australia's forced adoption response and was brought up in discussions with Scottish government officials in the lead up to their own recent apology. Over the years, we've heard from lawyers, policymakers, and others involved in inquiries and reference groups who've shared that they listen to the podcast to widen their own understanding and have used them to inform their reports and recommendations. I share this information only to let our guests know that they have had an impact and they've made a difference. So now it's time to get into the new season. Today's guest was born and adopted in Brisbane in 1985. James Vasilich has an incredible story and experience to share with us. And I think instead of going into the usual longer introduction, we might just jump right in. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, James. I am so happy to have you join us today. Thanks. Um, great. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me on. James, um, could I start by asking you to share with us what it was like for you to grow up adopted? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so growing up, adopted for me was I guess you have nothing else to compare um, your experience to so it was a normal experience I got um, raised by lovely parents Um, unfortunately my mother she couldn't have children and um, so I have uh, two adopted uh, siblings and two fostered siblings and so my my um, uh, adopted parents or my parents as I call them were uh, foster carers as well and they just kind of, as soon as uh, I, I came to their house, they like had put um, like trust accounts aside for me and my brother so we could go to a, a nice nice school. And their, I guess, outlook was to give us as many opportunities as, we, as they could give us um, because, you know, they didn't know what we would excel in or not excel in. So it was about... Um, exposing us to many things and giving us the most uh, opportunities to prosper. And then hopefully um, some of those things um, we would be passionate or um, interested in and, and follow those through. So, yeah, I had a really good um, upbringing. Um, uh, but 
I guess, yeah, with any adopted person comes some some challenges, um, even if you have the perfect family and the perfect upbringing, um, you know, you're still going to encounter some challenges so uh yeah they, they did you know they came and um and i feel like uh i i um met those challenges but um yeah i had an excellent upbringing and um excellent family support and excellent education excellent health care all those things so i was very lucky mm-hmm. um your experience because you're born um in 1985 it was quite different to what mine was and i do have some relatives who were um adopted closer to the year that you were um and i know that one of them received like a little booklet about himself um with some information in it about himself i just wonder what information were you given and how did you discover that you were adopted yeah so from basically when i was when I, whenever my memory came into to working i always knew i was adopted and um i have an older brother who's a few years older than me um so we always knew we were adopted from like whenever we could remember um and so yes we did get a little booklet um it was kind of a once you get the um if you go and get the uh full transcript from or full um freedom of information request from department of the 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 um relevant department it does uh i guess highlights on the positive features in in those um those long documents mm-hmm. so yes we got i got that um document and it said my mom loved reading and she liked you know just being by herself and like swimming and um and she she was from so in her case she was from yugoslavia so from a different country and then when I was growing up, um, you know, I followed a lot of sports. So my parents um, highlighted people from that region and said, look, that's where your birth mother's from. Like, and so I had a particular interest in those kind of sports people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I, my dad has a big cabinet because he likes to keep all paper files and, yeah, the booklet's still in there. So um, that's something, yeah, that I... I kind of yeah looked at and then yeah it was kind of like a yeah some kind of um connection or parallel to mm. how I was but um yeah so yeah that's something that 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 yeah we were given so yeah did you find yourself going back to it at all to sort of muse over things or or did you kind um, of read it once yeah. and that was it yeah. i mean there were times you know where you like I would tell my tell my parents I wanted to run away and, you know, my birth mom would be, you know, she loves swimming and all these things and she would have like a, you know, a, you know, a great big property with a tennis court and, you know, all these kind of um, mm-hmm. kind of um, delusions, I guess, maybe. Um, Fantasies. Yeah, yeah, correct. Because yeah. um, I didn't know any different and I didn't know the, you know, I didn't know what was, what what was happening for her so um yeah but my parents were um very understanding and being foster carers they understand or understood that some people who are adopted and um, a lot of people in foster care um they suffer a significant trauma or something or uh, multiple traumas at the start of their life and that's the most important part of development Mm -hmm. so they were very um 
yeah, understanding, probably too understanding um, to put up with to put up with me, but um, I'm <laughs> thankful they did. Um, another thing that was very different in your experience to mine is that I grew up in a family with um, siblings, three siblings who were biologically related to my parents. Um, so I was the only adopted person and the youngest. So I was sort of coming into their culture um, with lots of difference where they were, they were all the, the same. But you said you had um, an adopted sibling and fostered um, siblings as well. Yeah. How did that impact you, do you think, your experience? I think um, it impacted my experience because, you know, um, I'm not sure where who, who my brother's parents were. My older brother, um, I have a younger sister who we um, adopted. Uh, my parents adopted after she was in um, state care for until she was 18. So that was kind of unexpected. Um, and then my brother and sister, my foster brother and sister, their um, biological brothers and sisters. So. I think it impacted me. They were all, I'm fairly sure, they all come from a similar um, similar uh, ethnic background, I guess. Um, me coming from, um, with my mom being, my mom was actually adopted herself uh, mm -hmm. as well. So she's adopted from her um, relatives. So she was adopted as well. So she uh, found out that she was adopted um, when she was 14 and then hence, um, things kind of with, without kind of um, being told by her parents. So things unraveled in her life as a result of that secret. Are we so, talking about your um, biological mother here, just to be clear? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So she came from, uh, yeah, Yugoslavia. So I think the genetic makeup, um, there's a book that I read that, you know, um, you know, there's nature versus nurture. And I do feel like, um, nature has a strong impact on things. So I guess my temperament and the way I go about things is maybe different based on uh, my genetic makeup and just all being everyone in the family being diff uh, different makeup and some being similar to my parents or family and some being a lot different. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's been, uh, that was a bit of a challenge to overcome, I guess, um, you know, trying to fit in, and and be my fit in and be professional and like personable and like a nice person, but also not like changing myself to be someone completely different to who I really am. Mm -hmm. So um, there's always that kind of push and pull element. Yeah, sure. So what led you to search for your mother? Yeah, so I was living. So I'm from Brisbane originally. I've uh, grown grown up here. Uh, most of my life and I lived in Sydney for a few years um so I was in Sydney for a few years and I guess I think it's I had like a traumatic event I got I uh, had a workplace robbery where I was kind of um seriously like held up um gunpoint and things like that so that kind of maybe spiraled me down to maybe just thinking about I guess basics and who I am and you know, just, you know, because when when you experience something kind of like life and death like that, you kind of reflect on, you know, your own life and existence. Yeah. And I always wanted to meet my um, birth mum. So um, when I was in Sydney, I applied for the information. I wanted to really see if I had any siblings. And I also wanted to, I knew she was from um, Europe, European area. So um, I had maybe 
conscious, um, like materialistic, um, um, I guess, uh, incentives, like brother and sister, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, citizenship in another country. But I also think subconsciously I wanted, obviously wanted to, to meet her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I requested the information and then I got it sent to me about uh, four to six months later. Um, they did send me like a disclaimer like they, before they sent me the information. I hadn't, and on top of this, I hadn't told anyone I was requesting the information. So I hadn't told my parents or any of my family. It was just something off the top of my, like that I just did on my own accord. Mm-hmm because I didn't really want to upset anyone. Like I didn't want to upset anyone until I had to, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I received that information and um, from there I uh, I moved back to Brisbane and then from there I checked. Uh, basically I went through a whole search, which a lot of adoptees know, probably know of you go to birth deaths and marriages if the person's alive um by putting in a um like a death certificate request and if that gets denied you know they're alive and the kind lady at uh, birth deaths and marriages kind of gave me that information um and yeah from there i went to the lecturer role found her details her first name was not common um and then uh it's probably like six to 12 months uh period like found the address went to the address you want to check the mail to, we see if you can check them out to see if the person is at that address because you don't want to knock on the door um yeah so that's what i did for that period of time and i was able to knock on the door um uh unexpectedly i didn't think i would get that far but i just was just in the moment but she didn't open the door and I asked her who she was and she told me her name. So that confirmed that she was. This still is through alive. the door you were asking. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So right. yes. there's a top, like uh, in, she was living in housing commission. So there's like a, although these doors are in every house. So, um, you know, there's a, like you can hear through the door. So mm-hmm. because yeah. I guess she had a, uh, like a difficult life and she was living in, you know, you don't know who's going to knock on your door. Yeah. Um, she can answer it. And I wasn't really prepared. I hadn't prepared myself for getting that far. So yeah. we kind of like had a stalemate, but she did um, uh, tell me who she was. And then I just kind of made up some story. Oh, like, sorry, I've got the wrong, the wrong apartment. But yeah, that was a confirmation that she was in Brisbane and mm-hmm. um, I could potentially, if I really wanted to uh, find her and, try and have some kind of relationship with her so yeah yeah wow it's a lot (laughs) (laughs) now I know you didn't um at that stage hadn't told your um family so I just wanted to check a couple of things like how old were you at this time and did you have any support at all had you told anybody um I think I told one or two friends that I'd knocked on the door but to me like I hadn't um, my adoption really wasn't important, as important when I was younger. So I didn't really tell a lot of people. Um, also in school, um, 
we like I didn't tell anyone either although me and my brother didn't look anything like um my mom and my dad mm -hmm. and there were always questions like oh you look like people were saying oh you look like your brother and we obviously knew that that was not the case yeah um yeah so there was really no support but I had done a lot of research myself and I mentally prepared myself um for so I wanted to mentally prepare myself for the for the situation because I knew it wouldn't be easy based on, I guess, um, uh, my parents looking after lots of, lots of um, children in care, foster, mm -hmm. uh, foster children. And also, yeah, just yeah, through my mum also looked after babies who were adopted um, in the first uh, one to six months before they were adopted out. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of experiences with um, or a lot of knowledge about what happens with the with the mothers between that period where they they have agreed to adopt their child, but they still have that um, legal period where they can make can confirm their decision or make a different decision. So yeah. um, I was pretty prepared, and also yeah, at the same time, I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings if if it was going to like flame out and not be great. I didn't mm. want to. That would be on me. I didn't want to involve anyone else. Yeah. Um, I only wanted to involve people once I knew it could be a reality, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, just if you don't mind me going off track for a second, sure. it, something you just said reminded me of when I was probably about nine or ten, my adoptive parents decided they were going to foster a child and then ended up having a siblings come and stay with us for a little while to meet us um with and they were going to foster them and I was really um it really shook me at the time I didn't say anything about it I did not want the children to come to the house I found it like you know I knew they could come and they could be returned did that mean I could be returned you know that kind of stuff and as it turned out we moved and they didn't foster so I'm just wondering did that have an impact on you watching those babies come into your um, home and then leave knowing they're going to be adopted like how did you process that I think um it gave I was old enough as a teenager I could appreciate like the gift of adoption mm -hmm. um from a parent's perspective because a lot of the times I was I was sometimes at home when the new parents came over my mom would like create a big scrapbook over she'd take lots of pictures over the six months or the three months depending on uh, what year it was I think they changed the guidelines um, over the years. Mm. And so I was able to see what a great gift it was for those parents um, who really wanted to have children and couldn't and really, yeah, just like it was just like the pinnacle of one of the highlights of their life. So I was old enough at that stage to, to understand that, mm. um, that significance um and I also thought yeah it was probably cathartic for my mom as well um and yeah I think it, yeah it was just like a like a celebration I guess um mm -hmm. and so I could see uh I guess see myself in that see my parents in that situation where they couldn't have children and there's a special day where they you know are able to um meet me and my brother and my sister mm -hmm. um so kind of, and I can't remember those days. So that kind of gave me a visual reality of what it may have been like. Yeah. Thanks, James. Um, 
So you've knocked on your mother's door. She doesn't know it was you. What happened next? Yeah, so probably a year or two passed. Um, it was on my mind. I, I, yeah, it was on my mind and like affecting my mental health, obviously, because I'm someone who, once I know I need to do something, I, mm-hmm. it needs to be done. So, but I wanted to be because I've got a lot of this information from um, the department about her up. So, for example, I didn't know about her her history. So her history wasn't like um, um, all, you know, uh, what I thought it was. Uh, so that was something my parents didn't tell me, but her history was, you know, she was adopted. She uh, lived a, you know, a tough life. She was an immigrant from yeah, Yugoslavia. She came to Australia and then she told she was told she was adopted when she was 14 in, in Melbourne by another uh, Yugoslav person in uh, a friend. And then from there she kind of kind of dis, um, disengaged with her parents and was a uh, child of the state until she was 21 back in those days um and then yeah so from there she uh had like a difficult difficult life and um I didn't know any of this so and also she was she's now passed away but she was you know an escort she um had substance abuse problems but that was all around the time of uh the Fitzgerald inquiry where um, a large amount of people were um, suffering those kind of um, consequences or doing those kind of things, whether it was, um, uh, inf- you know, it, it is, it was what it was. So, but I didn't know that. So I felt when I found out that information, I was like, um, I've dealt with lots of people with um, in my own um, daily life and with foster care, with foster children and, you know, with their own, kind of challenges so I was like I need to be prepared and I'm not gonna like uh be someone who just walks in and walks out of someone's life so I needed to like um prepare myself emotionally because once I met her I was thinking I'm not gonna be someone who just ignores people's phone calls or isn't going to be there for that person and I know she didn't have anyone really else um if that that I knew of so um yeah so I forgot the question but um it's just what happened next when you went yes, to meet yes. her yeah so so I knew that so then yeah about a year and a bit passed and then I I was working a job probably about over a decade ago and then I didn't get my contract extended and I was just like everything was not doing great for me and I remember I came home from Sydney because I used to visit um because I'd lived there um and then the, yeah, the next day I'd um, my contract didn't get extended at my job and I was in Fortitude Valley and I had, and I'd been to the electoral roll and she'd changed address. So I had updated it in my phone, in my notes section. And then from there, I was like, you know, things can't, <laughs> I mean, they could have got a lot worse, but at that stage in my mind, I was like, things can't get much worse. I just need to, I felt like this was like something on my back I needed to get done. So I basically just got a cab to the address that I had in my phone. Um, it was, uh, yeah, inner city, uh, Brisbane. And I just um, basically was like, you're going to do this. You need to do it. Um, so, yeah, I 
basically got to the address. It was again, like a apartment kind of complex. So I had to walk up a lot of stairs. Um, and then there was the, I knocked on the door and because me and I guess my birth mom would only know certain things about each other. So um, I made sure I like told her some identifying factors about myself. Like my, I said, hi, I knocked on the door. She opened and I said like, hi, my name's, um, this is the name you've, you've given me. This is my date, date of birth. Um, I'm your son. And then she kind of, and then she kind of stood there. And then I think a lot of it is um, kind of gone from my memory because it's, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a strange um, and, it's overwhelming. Yeah. It's an overwhelming, overwhelming moment. Yeah. Yeah. And she kind of looked at me and she obviously knew who her sibling, like her relatives were and what I looked like. And then she was like, yes. Um, and then she invited me in. And I remember we had like maybe one or two hours of conversation and she was telling me all about her, her life. And I was telling her all about my life. And yeah, really I mean, I was very lucky that it worked out like that. Um, maybe if I'd caught her on a different day, it wouldn't have been the same reaction. Mm -hmm. But um, she told me that, um, so we met that day, and then she told me that she, because of her first name, was very uncommon. She'd always kept her her um, electoral details up to date because she wanted to make sure if I wanted to find her, I would be able to find her and that would be the way I could find her. So I don't know if that's true, but um, it did work. So, yeah, yeah I was very um, grateful for that. And also because she was adopted herself, mm -hmm. she um, she recognised that she found, she met her adopted parents and she thought um, I would want to do that at some point. So, yeah. yeah. Well, certainly if she didn't want to be found, it would have been very easy to take them off, wouldn't it? So Yes. And that's, um, I mean, that's amazing that there's that multi-generational trauma of adoption that goes through the family and that she leaned on some of her own experience to know what it might be like for you. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, yeah she, was, she was certainly a very smart person so mm. and savvy person. So if she didn't want to be found, she certainly would have made it. Yeah. Made it through, so, yeah. Yeah. So how did things unfold with you guys over the years? So, yeah, um, initially it was like a hard slog. So we met each other and it was kind of, um, I knew she had a lot of trauma in her background, along with being adopted. A lot of, um, you know, she went back to Yugoslavia. They had a war. She had to come back to Australia. Also, um, she, she didn't have... Uh, a partner she didn't have any family support really she kind of cut them off um so she was kind of just by herself so I understood that uh, and I would understood that it would be difficult to build trust and I understood that it would take a long time and I would have to do a lot of work to build the trust um so yeah I understood that and from there we uh so yeah initially it was a bit rocky um, on my birthday, I think the following year, um, my mum made a put all some photographs together with in a scrapbook over however old I was, 
and um, I met her on in the city and I gave her that. Um, and yeah, from there, so yeah, the first few years were a little rocky, and then from there, we just we just maintain contact here and there. I mean, she sometimes she'd get really angry and send me some, you know, not nice messages, and I guess maybe I would do the same, but I kind of understood that wasn't really her. It was just her under stress or something had happened, and she just kind of needed to blow off steam. Um, yeah, and so from there, uh, I started working in the city, Brisbane City, and um, from there she I'd moved. She would pick up medication in Fortitude Valley, so I'd moved her on. I said, you can pick up the medication in, in Brisbane City. Like, it's going to be, you know, there's less people for you to run into because she knew a lot of people in, in that area. And um, so she was able to do that and she was able to then, um, she used to sell the big issue and she started selling the big issue again. And so I was working in the city and she was selling the big issue in the city. So on my breaks, I would go and see her, check in with her um, because she would come into the city uh, in the very morning to pick up her medication. So she was there um, probably till midday. She liked to pick up her medication, sell a big issue and kind of um, just, you know, she didn't know a lot of people in the city, just check on people, talk to people um, and then just go home. So, yeah, we had a really, um, we built a strong relationship um, around, around that situation. Um, she was very, uh timid to like come and like come to a, my parents house or come to someone's like location but we I, I knew that so and it was also good for me we could find a middle ground and have those kind of build that relationship and trust over time um and that worked well for us uh and finally it was really lovely uh you know um she passed away a few years ago but uh, it was really lovely before she passed away. Like I got to meet a lot of her friends and even when we were walking through the city one time, I was, we were going to get something to eat. One of her friends had stopped her like in the middle of the city and she said, oh, like I know, like is this your son? Like he looks exactly like you. And for me, since I was born, I really didn't know what I was supposed to look like and I really um, like all my uh, relatives had always, and you know, grandparents and things, they would naturally say those kind of things, and I kind of really wanted that for mm -hmm. myself. So it was really lovely that like someone who didn't know us could recognize that similarity. So yeah, yeah that was kind of a nice, nice yeah. thing that happened. I'm so sorry to hear of your mom's passing. Um, but I know that it was important to you that you'd met her before then. And and I vaguely remember you telling me a bit of a story about um, after she passed and, and what happened. Would you mind sharing yeah. with us about that? Yeah. So I won't go into the gory details. There's no, no gory details. But um, I did find, like, I was the last person who found her. Like, I was the person who found her um, when she passed away from a heart attack. Um, and so I also felt that was like a full circle moment for me. I don't know, in, in a strange, uh, maybe warped way that like I had left her when I was not even born, but then I'd found her at her last um, known point, I guess, of, yeah. of being alive. So I felt that was like kind of a poetry in motion 
kind of situation. And yeah, from there, um, it was a few months before her birthday. And so um, she was selling the big issue. And um, so I printed, I organized a, a service and the church that organizes the big issue, I think it's an Anglican church, or sorry, Uniting Church um, in the city, St. Andrews, Uniting, I think, um, near Central Station. So I think they, they basically offered to um, do the service for free. Um, the organist was, you know, um, discounted and I invited all the big issue um, vendors. And then um, after this, so they, a lot of those people attended and then after the service, um, they all came down for coffee and tea and, and biscuits. And it was really lovely. They all got around in a circle and um, the lady who ran the big issue at the time, Susie, she said that, you know, a lot of them don't really speak a lot about things um but there was a, a lovely man in here went around and asked everyone you know what was a you know great like greatest memory of um my mom Gordana and um they all had something really like touching to say so um yeah it was really lovely uh really genuine and um it just shows you don't really need a lot to make something um you know special yeah, and to touch hearts, obviously, she touched a lot of hearts. Yeah, yeah she had a lot of, and then from there, um, the lady uh, who ran the big issue, she put a picture in a picture. I asked her to put a, I asked if she could, sorry, put a picture in the um, next big issue, just like, because they sometimes put things when people pass in, in the big yeah. issue. So they put a little uh, nice blurb and I had a nice picture with um, a gentleman had taken who used to go around Brisbane city used to take pictures of like, just like things that were happening in Brisbane city. And he had given a picture um, because he used to talk to my mum every so often and found that he had nice conversations with her. So he took a lovely picture and he gave that to us and it was printed in the big issue. And I thought that was, um, yeah, uh, good memorial for her and the best way I could (laughs) as much as I could, um, do as much as I could for her. Um, yeah. And then we had the service on her birthday. So, um, yeah. that was lovely as well. And it happened to be, I think a day after mother's day. So. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I wonder, did you end up, um, meeting any of your extended family at all through Gordana? Yeah. So Gordana didn't have any, any other children. However, um, what I've found is through um, National Australia Archives, which is a Australian government um, free service. Um, obviously, I looked up her last name and I found a lot of, um, of information about her immigration to Australia and she also left Australia. And you can, and that information is publicly available after 30 years. Um, so and if it's not published on the website, you can request it to be published. Um, so I did get some information about my grandparents. Um, and I did actually last probably two or three weeks ago, I went to Melbourne and I there was her address that she'd moved into um, in Footscray. So I went to the address and took a picture of the, of the house. Um, and aside from that, um, yeah, she didn't really have any other relatives. And then my birth father wasn't listed on the certific- on my birth certificate. And 
through the department, I did request um, there was an actual um, statutory declaration saying that she didn't know who my birth father was, um, but she thought she was he was of Australian descent. So uh, I got that information, and yeah, from there, I mean, I really just wanted to meet her because all the information I had about anyone was about her. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you um, have you made any steps? Like sometimes there's a lot of steps uh, a years. I should say a lot of time in between meeting our mothers and our fathers. It certainly was for me like 20 years. <laughs> um, have you made any steps or are you tempted to make any steps to search for your um, father? Yeah. So I listened to a few podcasts of adopt perspective in the last few months and yeah, they kind of inspired me because I've, I've done the, uh, my heritage DNA and uh, ancestry DNA. So I use some of those, that information to, really kind of knuckle down and see if I could work out from that information who might be my birth father. And I did get to a situation where, again, I use national, I think the um, people in my heritage use the National Australia archives through the army records um, to connect all their family tree. And so I kind of worked out who my grandfather was. Um, and then there was a picture of him in the, uh, World War One, and basically he like um, there's a picture of him, so he looks exactly like me, and that's not something I usually say because I don't really know anyone who looks like me. Mm-hmm. So I'm I was fairly confident that that slotted into the timeline, but there's not a lot of information about um, his children. Um, and again, I was during the era of like there was a lot of adoption, a lot of secrecy. So I don't know whether my father, you know, was adopted or you know what happened with him. Um, and for me, it's just more of a low key uh, thing that I'll just kind of like chip away at. But I'm not yeah. like desperate to find him. But it would be great if I could stumble upon it if I just keep chipping away at things. Um, but um, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Yeah, yeah, understandable. So you've had some time now to um, process, I guess. I wonder when you think about it as a whole, what what has that reunion with your mother brought to your life? I think for me it's brought like a lot of self-confidence. I always felt like I was kind of like the black sheep like I didn't really fit in anywhere, whether or not that was like true, I just felt it. And so, um, and also some of the, I guess, things that people said were negative about me, um, like that I'm kind of outspoken or passionate or stick up for people. Sometimes those things aren't highly regarded in different cultures or, you know, depending on what family you're from. Um, But for me, um, knowing, like, for example, my mum, she submitted a um, Fitzgerald inquiry kind of statement, and I was able to get that through um, through through the Queensland government. So she stood up for things that she believed in, and I was always thinking, and and people that didn't, she didn't know, she just tried to do the right thing, um, and I always try to do that. But so it just kind of gave me some confidence that like I'm the way I am because of 
my genetics and my mom and that's a good thing and she did a lot of good in her life and so I can kind of harness those kind of um and also knowing her kind of harness the good things about her and understand also the things that might have um, been a detriment to her Mm -hmm. life and kind of like um be aware of those things and um just keep them on top of top of mind and not let them um I guess um be a detriment to my life so yeah I think it's been really lovely and yeah I just didn't really think I also didn't I don't I never understood the relationship between like blood relatives I didn't understand like this connection when I first met my birth mom, um, we had the same. So the main thing we shared was the same temperament and mannerisms, um, mainly in all nonverbal. Um, so she would get frustrated as as fast as I was. I would get frustrated. So those are the things, yeah, that I um, I found really um, helpful for not thinking that I'm some strange black sheep in a yeah just, <laughs> just awkward pack kind of person so yeah. yeah yeah that's incredible and I mean how courageous was she to put her head up and um during that Fitzgerald inquiry and put a submission in I mean it was a dangerous time in Queensland's history very dark time so that's very courageous act yeah and yeah it's kind of um yeah solidifies things that I've done like I've um like put my neck on the line for for certain things that have nothing to do with me um really you know I'm walking down the street and something happens I could just keep walking but it's just not within my uh DNA so that kind of you know confirms but also yeah you kind of need to be um you know uh also for example uh I don't know if people know that you can once you're adopted you can request all your medical information from state hospitals and a good thing is if you get a letter from your GP saying it's about your hereditary family medical history that kind of solidifies the application Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of similarities between um you know uh if if they've been to hospital quite a lot uh what their experiences are and what age they are and where you are in your life there's Mm. there can be a lot of similarities and a lot of reflection based on that because there could be good things that happen or bad things that happen you kind of um kind of uh the bad things you kind of can kind of look out for and be um aware that these things could be could could influence you at that point in your life yeah so I wonder um all of us that are impacted by adoption and have done any exploration of it we all have different things that we've tried um you know to with support or just things that we found helpful, whether it's books we've read, study we've done, um, you know, groups we've been uh, involved with, people we've met. Um, you know, it can be all sorts of things. You know, it's, it can be psychics even. We do some weird things sometimes. Um, I'm wondering what have you found helpful as you've explored your adoption experience? Um, for me, like I see a regular um, health practitioner every every two weeks so since I met my birth mom, we just kind of have a debrief um, and we discuss about what's happened in the last few weeks, and especially when I was when my birth mother was alive, um, those issues were more pertinent. 
and just kind of working out boundaries and how to navigate things. Because for me, I felt really guilty that my mum had left this, like, um, in some other people's eyes, not a desirable life in her eyes. It was fine, uh, a fine life, a great life. Um, but I was always feeling like I needed to fix everything for her and Mm -hmm. it was the realization and talking to a health professional that um she's happy she's got this far she's a tough person you don't need to do anything more you just need to be yourself and be there and that's enough um that was a tough thing for me to kind of understand yeah um and yeah from there also I guess yeah letting my mum and dad know um I'm lucky that my yeah my mum and dad are very supportive um, they aren't. They have a very good understanding of, I guess, the part, the, the adoption system and the the child safety system. So they understand these things and they're very supportive. Um, and for me, yeah, also just keeping active and obviously looking after my own health and fitness and um, looking after my own just well being in general. Uh, if there's something that you can do to look after your well-being, whether that be fitness or meditation or whatever it might be, um, that's something you should should definitely dial into. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I mean, it's a holistic thing, isn't it? Sometimes we're looking for just adoption-specific answers, but it's important to actually just look after our own selves, our health, our physical fitness, all of those things come into play and it's it's not a one-stop shop. So that's really wise words, James. So um, we're just about to wrap up. Is there any thoughts that you'd like to leave us with? Um, I just want to say, yeah, hopefully uh, my story can help some other people who, you know, maybe at a crossroads in their journey of um, the adoption journey, which is lifelong. Um, I think for me it took, it's taken over 10 years to gather all the information I wanted from my adoption. And so it's not a easy process and it's there's certainly not at the moment uh, like a button you can press to get all your information. And I feel like people who are adopted uh, owe that information. It's their information. It's information about themselves and you will get um, hit with a lot of crossroads um, I don't think there's crossroads and people kind of causing those crossroads are doing it purposely, which is always something I try and keep <laughs> in front of mind. They're just trying to do their their job um, and they don't understand the sensitivities. So I think it's um, important not to take those kind of comments or, you know, um, setbacks personally. Um, but yeah, I would encourage people to get, uh, if, if they're interested, apply to the department, get their adoption information. You can apply to the hospitals, get your health information. Um, and you, there's, you know, whatever your state archives are, search the name, find any information. It could be legal documents, um, court court rulings. It'll give you some information about that person or your um, mother or father's history, the same with an, um, if they have a national archives, it'll also give that information. And none of this is kind of written down anywhere in a um, easy to to follow um, menu. So um, yeah, I'll just encourage people just to keep going, but also not to 
there are times when you just kind of need a break mm-hmm. and you're ready to continue to be disappointed. So it's important to take that break and also then to when you're feeling better um, about things to restart whatever you were pursuing. Yeah, that's yeah. wise words. Knowing when to take your foot off the accelerator is very, very important. <laughs> Look, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, James. Um, I know a lot of people are going to um, get a lot out of hearing it. And I'll be putting up any relevant links on our podcast podcast notes page. Um, So, again, thank you very much. No worries. And thank you for having me. Meanwhile, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, just jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. And just note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313, or you can call Jigsaw on 07 3358 6666. If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption.